The Bible reading today is from Mark 10, verse 32 to 45. They were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished, while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will turn him over to the Gentiles, who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink? or be baptized with a baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, You will drink the cup I drink, and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the turn heard about this, They became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Thanks be to God. So if you could have your Bibles open to Mark chapter 10 as we go through it, that'd be great. Let's pray that God will speak to us. Lord, we thank you that you serve us. We thank you that you are God who who uses uh, his power to uh, make us flourish. And we pray that as we come to this text, that you will speak to us and empower us to go out and serve others. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, One of the... uh, Can you see if that can be turned on? It's not on. Uh, one of the characteristics of modern philosophy is that it seems it sees the whole world in terms of power. This perhaps goes all the way back to Friedrich Nietzsche, uh, who was famous for his philosophy of will to power. He believed that life wasn't about right and wrong or good or evil, but this will to power, will to dominate others. He wrote in this uh, aptly named book, Beyond Good and Evil, 
Suppose, finally, we succeed in explaining our entire instinctive life as a development and ramification of one basic form of the will, namely, of the will to power, as my proposition has it. The world viewed from inside, it would be will to power and nothing else. The world from viewed from inside it would be will to power and nothing else. If you sort of call down the, 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 the whole life into one thing, he, he says, is about will to power, will to impose your will upon other people. The dichotomy of sort of good and evil is an illusion uh, created by the powerful to subjugate the weak, he would say. So the, while the powerful, uh, it turned off just again. So while the powerful broke all the rules themselves, they create, uh, create these rules to put them into their place to, so that the powerful could dominate uh, the weak, to control the weak. Of course, this sort of postmodern philosophy idea gave birth to all sorts of branches of academia in the 20th and 21st century. Take post-colonialism, for example. Its main thesis is that the colonial powers went into these uh, countries and imposed their rule, not because they thought that this was the right way to live, but because this way was way to subjugate these uh, countries and the people there so they could impose their rule upon these countries. Think about women's, uh, women's studies or feminist uh, studies, uh, how they deconstruct how men have shaped the whole world, not because this is the world it should be, but because they want to keep the status quo of power. In, 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 they, they've created this world, um, and they want to keep power for themselves. Queer theorists do the same for gay and lesbians. There are other sort of subjects like African studies or Asian studies um, that focus on power dynamics that are in play in the culture, in politics, and all those things. Now, there's a whole branch of history called historiography that looks at how the idea, uh, the, the idea that history isn't shaped by these objective things, but history is shaped by people who have won, who, people who have, who have power. So they impose their uh, uh, um, uh, they, their idea of how things went because they have the power to create history. This sort of academia, uh, academic thinking has trickled down to everyday life as well. Everything has become about power. Uh, China sort of currency manipulation or economics in general or media reporting. There, we have to be vigilant and actually think about how the people who are powerful are controlling these ideas. And we're suspicious of institutions because they hold power. We're constantly deconstructing how, how, they, um, how they exercise power uh, because there is the assumption that powerful will always try to dominate. Uh, shape the world how they see it, and they might not, it might not be the right thing. In many ways, we needed this insight in the world because we're right to be suspicious of each other because this will to power seems universal. We all want to be first. We all want to dominate. We all want to sort of influence others and shape the world the, the way that we see them. We want to, uh, and the, the power, uh, the allure uh, of power is almost too enticing. Disciples of Jesus, we see in this text, in Mark 10, we see that they want to uh, do this uh, as well. James and John were, in some ways, the star apostles, right? Star disciples. They're part of the inner circle. Uh, Within the 12 itself, there is the inner circle of the three, James, John, and Peter. And perhaps it was because they're so close to Jesus. They want more power than they already have. Uh, Look at what they ask for in verse 37. 
Let us, let one of us sit at your right hand and the other in your left in your glory. They want glory and power. Maybe uh, they believe that Jesus was the Messiah King, that God's kingdom um, has been ushered in with Jesus, and they want to rule with him. And they probably had something like verse 42 in mind. They want to lord it over others, impose their rule upon others, enjoy the privilege and status of being the rulers. They want to, that, that word, lord it over, I think has it quite right. They want, to, they want to use others. They want others to serve them. It's not a bad thing to exercise authority. But what they wanted was that they want to, uh, uh, to use uh, their power um, for their own selfish ends. They wanted to use others um, to serve them. And you know, these people already, don't you? People, um, even with people uh, with little power, actually want to use others for their own ends, don't they? They're constantly meeting new people. They're constantly sort of networking uh, with people so, uh, so that they could use these people to climb up their social ladder. Once they're in positions of power, it doesn't change. They use the people who are under them to meet their own ends. And astonishingly, this is what Jesus' disciples want to do with Jesus. Look at the question that they originally asked in verse 35. Teacher, we want you to do whatever we ask. They've seen Jesus' great power. Jesus healed the paralytics, cleansed the lepers, calmed the storm, raised the dead. And he know, they, they know that Jesus has this great power. But instead of coming to Jesus and asking, Lord... How can we serve you? How can we, what can I do to serve you, the king? They want to use Jesus to meet their own end. And power-hungry people use other people. Not only that, they have this utter disregard for others, their sufferings as well, because they're so focused on what they want. I mean, look how they're callous how they're callous to Jesus and what Jesus just said. Uh, in verses 33 and 34, Jesus just said that he was going to go and die. And this is, is in this astonishing detail, he predicts his own future. We're going to go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles, who will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. Jesus just told his disciples that he's going to his own death in this astonishing detail, but they're not concerned about Jesus at all because they're concerned about what they want and their position and their power and how they could use Jesus to meet their own ends. And that pursuit to be first, that pursuit to use power, use others for our own ends, well, it's in all of us. Students want to be first. Many women, and uh, maybe they, they want their house to be nice and tidy because when they want uh, people to come over, they want to see how great they are. We want to be recognized as sort of best associate at first and then best partner and then best in the business. Even in the church, I have to be careful because I can easily get power hungry and get drunk on control and influence that I have on others. I, I try not to be, but yeah. <laughs> because power is seductive. Um, if you don't crave it, it might be because you've never had it. I recently flew business class for the first time in my life. A generous friend paid for this upgrade. 
And it was great. <laughs> you get your own separate line um, to check in. There's a separate entrance for you. You sit around the lounge while, um, and, and sip cocktails while, we, while you uh, wait for uh, your flight. Larger legroom, better food, better service. Once you've had it, it's hard to go back. Power is like that because power comes with status and privilege. Once you've had it, it's hard to give up those things. And it's easy to start abusing others to maintain that power and status and privilege that come with it. Teacher, we want you to do whatever we ask. They asked me first, of course. But they didn't know what they were asking. They didn't know what it meant to be first in God's kingdom. That this was a whole different thing with Jesus Actually, wanting to be first is not a bad thing. Wanting to actually have this power is not a bad thing. But we must realize that being first in God's kingdom requires a complete different path of getting there. A different way of exercising power. And of course, Jesus shows the proper motivation and the path and the way of using power. One of the things that becomes very obvious um, in the Gospel of Mark, is how powerful Jesus is. He never shuns power, display of power. It's not that he's, uh, he's um, shy about exercising that power. Jesus has great power, power over sickness, power over the demonic world, power over the nature, over life and death itself. He has the power to rule with might. He wasn't killed because of powerlessness. He went to the cross with all that power, power to throw Herod and Pilate off of their seats, throw the whole world upside down. He went to the cross with that power. But why did he go then? Well, that's the way that Jesus exercises his power. He goes. Uh, and this uh, question of why he goes, the clearest answer in the Gospel of Mark is found in this passage. For the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, verse 45. The word ransom there is the price, price uh, paid for a slave to be free, freed. And when we were dead, dead in our transgressions, in our sins, Jesus died for us to pay the price to free us. He came, in the words of verse 44, he came to take our place as a slave, so that we might be free. He came to become a slave of all. And that's what he's talking about when he's talking about the drinking the cup and going through the baptism in verses 38 and 40. To James and John's question, he answers, can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? When the Bible talks about drinking the cup, it's usually the cup of God's judgment. And God's wrath, righteous wrath, in Psalm 75, 8, Isaiah 51, Ezekiel 23. Jesus is going to drink the cup of God's wrath, not because he deserves it, but because we deserved it. He's going to go through the baptism in verse 38. And we normally talk about baptism in a positive way. But Jesus here is talking about his baptism of suffering and death. That's predicted in the Old Testament. Psalm 42, 7, 69, 2, Isaiah 43, the suffering servant of Isaiah. He was baptized into suffering and death so that we might be given the privilege of life abundant. Once again, let me tell you that Jesus didn't give up his power 
his position as the first among the whole creation. But look at how the path that he takes as the world's most powerful. Look at how he uses his power. He opened the eyes of the blind. He fed the 5,000. He raises the dead. He goes and, and gives life to others. With that privilege, with that power, he doesn't give them up. He used them in the right way to serve people. And ultimately, he goes to the cross with all that power because he's the only one powerful enough to give life to all who, those who would come to him. That's how he uses his power. He does not lord it over. Exercise authority to take advantage of others. He becomes a slave and servant of all, gives his life as a ransom for many. And in Philippians, Paul goes on to say, Therefore, God exalted him and seated him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus is the Lord, the glory of God, the Father. That's how we become first. When we exercise the privilege, the power that God has given us to serve others. When we seek to be lost. Here he shows the purpose of that power. God, in the very creation, created this, this world that is flourishing. Life with life. And Jesus used his power to give us life. To serve us. To allow the world to start flourishing again with him. And because of what Jesus has done. Drinking the cup and being baptized now actually have, they have completely different meaning, don't they? Instead of the cup of wrath, we drink from the cup of grace in communion. Instead of baptism of suffering and death, we undergo baptism that gives life. But as not all there is also to communion and baptism, this also then becomes a pattern for us, pattern of discipleship for all of us. These sacraments are not just a way of receiving grace, they put us on the path of discipleship. While we, we receive communion, we remember that Jesus was poured out for many. And this then becomes pattern for, pattern for our life. Our life is not for ourselves. Our power and privilege is not, just for, not for ourselves. We recognize that power that God has given, the position that we've been given, are not for us to just hold on to and relish, but given to serve others. Baptism is the same. Baptism is not just a symbol of our death and rebirth with, with Christ. It shows us a pattern of discipleship as well. We die with Christ. We start serving others, living our lives for others. We unite ourselves into Christ's death so that we might rise again with him. It's a pattern of discipleship. One commentator writes, All disciples who accept baptism and drink Jesus' cup also pledge themselves to live and die by the pattern of the cross. And that's what it means to become a servant. The word that's used in verse 43. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. That word could also be translated, that's the word servant, a deacon. Um, and that is who we are. And this means a lot to me. In the Anglican tradition, when somebody's ordained, you're ordained a deacon, deacon first. And after a while, that person is ordained a priest, a minister. But what's interesting is that I'm told that when I was ordained a priest, um, that somebody told me, you don't stop being a deacon. This is who you are. 
you start serving others, and that's part of your identity. But you don't have to be ordained to know this. We, as followers of Christ, we all become servants. We all become deacons. And no matter what your jobs are, whether that's a teacher or a lawyer or a helper or mother or a father, professor or doctor, engineer, or whatever you are, as followers of Christ, we all become servants. We all become people who live our lives for others. And that's a great thing. And you can do this no matter what your position is. And Martin Luther King Jr. said that everybody can serve. Uh, everybody can be great because everybody can serve. You don't have to, he says, you don't have to have a college degree to serve. You don't have to make your subjects and verb agree to serve. You don't have to know Plato and Aristotle to serve. You don't have to know the Einstein's theory of relativity to serve. You don't have to know the second theory of thermodynamics and physics to serve. You only need a heart full of grace, a soul generated by love. We can all serve. And we're all deacons. We're all servants. But... Could I say, because I know that this is a middle-class church and many of you are in positions of power. If you have great power, you can have great power to serve. You can, like Christ did. If you're a doctor, think about the position that you're in with that power that you have in that position as people come to you stricken by grief and terror. With the words that you have, you can serve those people. With the great knowledge that you have to heal, you can serve all those who come um, to you. You can heal. If you're a teacher, you can lord it over, to, uh, 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 over the students. Or you can have the attitude of serv- service and help the students to flourish. As a lawyer, you can serve your clients, the poor who, the, 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 uh, who need legal help. You can also serve your juniors. Not lord it over them. It's your choice. Not to lord it over them, but to serve them. If you're a husband or wife, wife or uh, uh, mother or father, children or friend, in whatever position you're in, we can serve. We can cling to our privilege or status, or we can give them up. And use our power to serve others. And this is, I think, even the most mundane thing. Even on the MTR, you can serve, can you? If you have a seat, you have certain power over those, all those who are standing or who are envious of your seat. Are we looking to serve? Are we looking around to see if we can give up our seat so that it might be an opportunity to serve others? In every position that you are in, we can serve. With our money, energy, time, we can serve. Are we serving? Are we following the pattern of Christ, who became a slave of all, who came to serve and to give his life? The big hurdle that prevent, uh, prevent us often from serving in this way is because of the status and privilege that come often with power. We're distracted by them. Uh, and we shouldn't hold closely to this. In the introduction to a great book called, uh, by Andy Crouch called um, Playing God, uh, Crouch recalls a time when he met uh, Jaya Kumar, uh, the director of World Vision in India. Uh, in many ways, he's a powerful man. Uh, he has a PhD from an American institution. He's responsible for 8,000 employees. Across India, he's connected to the highest levels of Indian government business and religious leadership. 
but he shuns, uh, he shuns uh, privilege and status. He lives in, in, in intentional simplicity. His office isn't uh, much, but he, could, he, he uses his tremendous power that he has to serve others. This is what Crouch uh, writes about him. In a place where power has been abused for generations, J.R. Kumar and his staff represented a very different kind of power. This power was actually giving life rather than constricting it. It occurs to me that none of the children, women, or village leaders I met would like, likely have wanted the World Vision staff to give up their power. Think about that. The people there don't want the World Vision staff to give up their power. It's because they're using this power to help them flourish. You know, we're suspicious of power, and we, ha- we should be. But power used in the right way can bring life, can bring flourishing. If we shun status and privilege and not be distracted by them, if we focus on our identity as servants, we can do great good. Just as Nietzsche thought, power is all around us. But Nietzsche is wrong in that the only use of power is will to power, will to dominate others. Power can be used to serve. When we use power rightly, others are empowered, and it gives life to others. When we use it like Jesus to serve others, it creates a world that reflects his glory, his beauty, his mercy. It creates this life that is flourishing. And one last thought. Jesus says, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your your servant. Whoever wants to be first must become slave of all. And that word is translated rightly. In all other times, it's, it's, it's a servant, but this time it's a slave. Paul call, calls himself a slave of Christ, doesn't he? We were bought at a price. And the thing about that is that once you, the, the slaves are free and you were bought, you then become attached to the one who paid your ransom. We belong to Christ. Our power belongs to Christ. Our life belongs to Christ. Our privilege and status belong belong to Christ. All that we have belong to Christ. So we follow him. Because this king became our servant. This king became a slave of all. Let's follow in his path. path. Let's pray. Lord, we give you great praise and thanks that we have a God like you. God who's created this good world. And even as we rebelled in our sin, Lord, you sent your son, Jesus. Your son who had all the powers of the world, but who used his power to serve us, to become a slave of all. Lord, remind us, of your goodness. Remind us of um, who you are and how we follow you, how our life, our rebirth in you. Help us to keep our eyes on you and how you lived and help us to live, live in that path of service as we go. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.